welcome you to Doxodeo Hatfield, a multi-ethnic family on mission, passionate about Jesus, passionate about community, and passionate about serving the city of Chwaneka. So we are in the final week of our series uh, called Making Change. As we speak about stewardship, we've been preaching through the book of John for most of this year, and we felt it uh, helpful to spend just four weeks speaking about the stewardship of not just our time and our talents, but also our treasures. Um, so a whole bunch said already today with regard to stewardship, but this is so crucial because we want to follow Jesus with every single aspect of our lives. That was why the Jesus movement was initially just called The Way. Before it was called Christianity, it was just a way of following Jesus and who he is as the king and the savior of our lives. And I think we've said it often in this final week, just to reiterate again, that the Bible never calls us owners of what we have. You know that? It only calls us stewards of what is rightfully God's. And so at the end of the day, listen to what the psalmist in very poetic language says in Psalm 89, 11. He says, the heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and everything in it, you found them. And so we are in success. If you're asking me, what is the success of a Christian stewardship? It is not what you have, but it's how you steward what is rightfully God's. And so in this series, we're saying together with Pastor Mike Brewer, who would often say that the two hardest things for Christians to get under control, to bring under almost alignment with Jesus is what? It's our wallets and our zippers, Right? Isn't that true? In our culture, it's sex and money. Those are the two things that people say, man, Jesus sounds amazing if I can do it my way. And we saying, no, if I've truly experienced the grace of Jesus, then I would say the way to respond to that is to give over every part of my life, my sexuality, my finances, my friendships, my language, my vocation, and say, God, use these things for your glory and for the good of those around me. Amen? Was that zipper one who's too quick on you? Is it? I can see the faces were like, yo, okay. Just got really real here. So we're saying stewardship and finances, four keys for us to remember in this series, making change. Can we say them together once again? Let's go. Stress is bad. Less is more. Giving is good. Tomorrow matters. One more time. Stress is bad. Less is more. Giving is good. Tomorrow matters. If you've been here more than one Sunday, you know, like, just one more. Okay, so stress is bad. Less is more. Giving is good. Tomorrow matters. We're not going to live chasing a lifestyle in debt. We're going to say, God, that I'm not driven by materialism. Less of the unimportant things is actually more. Giving is good. If my heart is where the heart of Jesus is with this church, I want to be lavishly generous. And finally today, how do I live today as if tomorrow actually matters? I think the biggest challenge for Christians today, and especially younger generations, I think millennials, Gen Z, all the way down, I think what we often struggle with is we have been conditioned to not be able to wait for anything. Isn't that true? Our world has forced us into a pace, a rhythm of expectation that is so unfair 
So if I think about, you know, just different things, let's think about WhatsApp or communicating with a friend. You send a message. I remember back in the day when, you know, when the dinosaurs roamed, when, when I was younger, they, you would have to call the house like line. And if no one answered, you know what would happen? Nothing, because <laughs> you didn't get hold of your friend. That was it. It's like, hey, well, I tried, and he's not there, I guess. Now you WhatsApp someone, and the moment you see that blue tick, what does your mind say? You're like, why haven't you replied yet? It's been like 10 seconds already. It's been 20 seconds already. It's been like a minute, and you've read it, and you have not replied. Why are you doing this to me? All right, we want it now. Or think about, uh, you know, we go to the drive-thru, or you maybe go and, and you go to Uncle Fauzi's here on the strip and you like, after five minutes of waiting for your food, you're like, this is painful right now. Like I'm going through some serious issues. At six minutes, you're wanting to ask for a refund. Like you are literally wasting my time. At seven minutes, you're like, this is trauma. Like I need to go to a trauma counselor. I don't have PTSD. I have, you know, a KPTSD. What's that? Like KFC post-traumatic stress disorder. I, I need to sort out this issue. Or maybe, like, let's think about the series we watch, right? So if you have, like, the newest season of whatever you're watching and they give you the horrific news that they're not going to release all of it at once, but do it weekly, like, how crazy is that? Or, like, half of the series, like, half of the season in one, and then you're like, this is ridiculous. Like, who does this? Who does this? You want to send, like, Netflix an email and say, like, this, this is crazy. In the middle of my exams, how can you do this to me? So we are conditioned to want things now. And what that, and I'm not, I'm not speaking to you, I'm speaking to myself here today. What that leads to is what? That in everything, we don't live often today as if tomorrow matters. So when it comes to my health, I know what I should be doing. But because I don't actually live as if tomorrow matters, I don't live with my health as something that I prioritize today. I know, especially the men here, I'm speaking to myself again, we know that men struggle the most in lifelong relationships. Having quality relationships with other men, we struggle with that. And so we know we meant to invest in relationships today. And do we do that? No. We know that our faith will, at the end of the day, not be one of the fires, you know, or the irons in my fire. It will be the fire that, is my, that defines my life. And yet, do I invest in it more than anything else today? Often, I don't. So the question is, how do I shift my thinking? Because let's be honest, the greatest culprit, and now I'm speaking to all of us, the greatest culprit of living today as if tomorrow doesn't matter is money. And especially to Christians, because I can't speak to the city, friends. If you're a Christian here today, if you're just a guest with us, enjoy your time with us. It's awesome having you with us. But if you're a Christian here today or a partner of our church, we are saying to ourselves, Jesus has redefined the way I think about my life. So I have to say that, man, I want to live as if tomorrow matters. But when it comes to finances, Christians often look exactly the same as the non-Christians in the way they actually spend their money. Not what they say about their money, not what they believe theologically about their money, but the way they spend their money says tomorrow sort of matters. <laughs> tomorrow might matter one day, but does it matter today? Then show me your bank statements. So let's see what that looks like. Matthew 25. Too many yours today, guys. Like, <laughs> Should be like, yes, man. All right, Matthew 25. Famous portion of scripture. Parable of the talents. Now, every commentary in the Bible will basically say the same thing. There are two major, almost trans, uh, 
places this is almost landing in, in the hearts of people. There are two contexts we need to keep in mind. The one is that everyone will say, yes, the, the first context for the scripture is the people of Israel. Jesus is speaking to the people of Israel, saying that the covenant that God made with them, there's almost a moment of reckoning now. Why have you rejected my, my savior, my, my, uh, your anointed one? But then the second context for this that lays next to it is that it has a universal application for all people at all times, and it's not speaking about salvation, about becoming a Christian. It's speaking about the context for my life. What's my perspective about stewardship? So let's read it together. It's a long passage. You can have your nose on your Bible. Matthew 25, 14. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated, Jesus speaking about the kingdom, by a story. So he's telling a parable of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. And he gave five bags of silver to the one, two bags of silver to the another, and one bag of silver to the last, and dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He left on his trip, and the servant who had received the five bags of silver began to invest the money, and he earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and he hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip, and he called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had invested or entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise, and he said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling the small amount, so I will now give you many more responsibilities." Let's celebrate together. The servant who had two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. And the master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling the small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. And then the servant with one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. So I was afraid to lose your money. So I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops that I didn't plant and I gathered crops that I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least then I could have gotten some interest on it. But then he ordered, he said, take the money from the servant and give it to the one with the 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. And they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even the little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into the darkness where they will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yes, like that end. Feels like if you're like a rugby or a cricket fan this weekend, you're like weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now in this parable, it's a fake story telling us realities about the kingdom. Firstly, speaking to Israel, but also speaking to us in terms of stewardship. Do you see that the, this cruel master is not taking this, this kind of lazy servant to task because of the money primarily? He's taking him to task because, what? He missed an opportunity to look at today through the lens of tomorrow. Highlight in verse 26 when it says, speaking about this wicked servant, he said, if you knew, then why didn't you? If you knew, then why did you not? He's saying you had the opportunity to look at your current reality through the lens of tomorrow. Why did you let that go? So I want to ask us, we have an opportunity as Christians, if you're a Christian here today, to look at tomorrow 
through the lens of today. And three lenses that help us do that. Number one is to look at today through the lens of what? Focus. Focus. Highlight with me verse 15. He says, he gave five bags of silver to the one, two bags of silver to the other, and then one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to what? To their abilities. We said it last week as well. Friends, if we make this a conversation about rands and cents, we're going to end up in religiosity and legalism. This is not a conversation about who owns what. It's about what are you doing with what you already have. God, help me to focus not on what that person has. Help me to see what I already have. If I'm always living, you know, as if tomorrow matters in the sense that when I have, I'll be generous. When I have, when I've achieved, when I've covered this, then I will, I will never get there, friends. I promise you, adding one or two or three zeros to whatever you have now will make zero difference to your heart. The focus of this parable is saying what I have today can be stewarded, whatever it is, whether much or little in our economy, every single one of us can be a good steward of what God has given us today. I don't have to have a specific anything to be a generous person. I remember years ago, I was in my early 20s, and I had this issue coming from a fairly wealthy family and then stepping into some other realities and I would take, you know, our pastor into these discussions about theology and giving, and I had all these bright ideas, as many 20-year-olds have. Um, I'm just kidding, but not really. Um, and I would speak to him and say, you know, this is what I believe the Bible says, and this, and I was just arrogant. Like, I was just going back and forth. And then I realized this one time, he just asked me a simple question. He said, Joe, we've had conversations now about the theology of giving and generosity, but here's a question I want to ask you in confidence. How much do you give? And for the first time in those many conversations, I was dead silent. Because you know what? I wasn't giving anything. I had much to say, but I had very little to show for it in my heart. And he knew it. Because at the end of the day, it was a heart issue. It wasn't that he was looking for an amount or a percentage or nothing. He was just saying, Joe, let's be honest, you are waiting for a day because you compare yourself to your friends, to your colleagues, to your family members. You compare yourself to the rich kids of Instagram. You compare yourself to, I don't know, let's make that joke again, the, the real housewives of Pretoria or whatever it is. And therefore you feel that you cannot be generous. And your issue is not that you don't have resources. The issue is you don't see yourself as a steward today. I was convicted because I realized I had so much to say and yet I had nothing to show for it. A journey today, that day began for me with what I had, not what I hoped I would have. I mean, think about it. If, if Shay, my wife, she's in the kids' ministry today, if she were to pass away, tragically, and she asks me, listen, my last will and testament for you is to take my ashes and go and scatter them at Lentana, where we often go and have a good time in the ocean. If I then said, you know what, I hear what my wife's last wishes were, but yo, that's far, let's be honest. Like, that's really far. I'm gonna do, like, drive all the way there. It's pretty inconvenient. It's like end of the fourth term almost. Like I'm tired, to be honest. Or I think it's just weird. Like it's not, it's not me. Like it's not for me. What would that say about the relationship that I had with my wife? If I can't even honor her wishes above my own. No, the prayer of someone who focuses on what they are stewarding on behalf of God and his wishes the prayer of a good steward, I'll give you one for each of these points, is God, focus my mind today on being faithful with what I have 
instead of fixating on what I don't. God, today, will you give me a focused heart and mind as a steward of what I have been entrusted with versus fixating on what I don't? You can sit here today and say, listen, I'm not Elon Musk. I can't spend like 44 billion on Twitter and still be okay. But that's all right. Maybe God is not going to ask you about his 44 billion for Twitter, but he's going to ask you, but what did I give you? And what is my will and testament for my kingdom, for this city, and for those around you? Second thing, maybe another lens we can use to look at through today and tomorrow is that of ownership, not just focus. So highlight once again with me. Use your Bible as a workbook, friends. I want you to be able to go back to your Bible and say, man, God is speaking to me. So verse 14 and 19, he says, he called together his servants and entrusted their money to them. Oh, no, wait. It says he entrusted his money to them. And after a long time, verse 19, the master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of all the money that they had so earned through their hard work. Oh, no, wait. (laughs) It says to give an account of what and how they had used what? His money. We live in an age where, and that's like just like Western materialism and Western individualism that's, that's spilled into every part of the world, whether Africa or the East or South America. We have this conviction that because I have a skill set, I'm smart, I'm hardworking, I deserve what I have. Come on. <laughs> okay, and God, you know, he's a good counselor. He's a good, like, you know, consultant that I bring in every now and then, especially in difficult times when I've stuffed up my business or my marriage or my whatever. It's helpful to have like a, an extra voice. But can I say, friends, this, the very fact that you are here today and not born as a helpless peasant in the 14th century in Japan somewhere, what did you have to do with that? The brain and the capacity and the skills that you have, what did you, how did you, you know, add to that? Nothing. So much of who we are and what we have will in the end be asked of us, not how did you make yourself made man and woman that you are, but how did you Steward the skill set and the resources that I so graciously gave you. There were so many people in need around you, a country that so needed job creation and passionate investment, a church that in the city, so many churches are waiting just to explode with more passion and resources and people. It's not asking who you are, self-made man and woman, but what are you doing with what I have given you? The master entrusts his money to others. I love Tim Keller saying a steward is a person who has been entrusted with another's resources and who seeks to manage those resources according to what the owner's vision and values. If I asked one of you guys to just quickly, my kids are in the kids ministry, I've got a 20 rand here, will you just go and just give it to them because I want them to go and buy a suite after church and just enjoy it. If you're like, Joe, I will do that for you. I will be your man for the mission. And then by the time you get to the stairs, you just like go down the stairs and go and buy yourself, well, it's like 20 rand. What can you buy with 20 rand today? I don't know, like chips. <laughs> that, would, that would hurt. It's like, man, I just, I just asked you to take my resources and be a good steward. I didn't ask you to dam all of it up. I asked you to flow with my intentions. So man, are our resources meant to also be used for joy and for investing and being wise? There's, there's someone in our church who said that their family, they, they, her brothers and sisters and parents, they own nothing. They don't have a single asset to their, to their name because they believe that we are meant to live for the next life. Almost that kind of dualistic thinking. It's like earth and heaven. That's how we live. And, and I told her that's unbiblical. 
I think you're meant to use the resources God has given you, yes, for your joy, to invest wisely, to care for those around you, all those things. But the rank order is always God's will in the order that he gives it to us. So I'm not saying it's either or. It's both and, but it's according to the heart and the mind of God. A car that I drove a couple of years ago, and it was a clunker, and there's a reason for it, is because it was actually my elder sister. I'm the youngest of three, and my wife is the eldest of three. So imagine how, just how much synergy we have in our house. Um, I'm the youngest of three, and my elder sister got a car from my parents when she went to university, and eventually, after many years, and she got married, and they could care for themselves, they gave this car back to my parents. And my parents, running a business, they had someone in that business who were really struggling and down on out, and so they said, we will borrow you this car free of charge. You can use it, go for it. And then a couple of months later, they kind of realized, like seeing this person who's doing sales, so they won't see him often, they realized, where's the car? <laughs> this guy's like, he's on foot again and using public transport. What's happened? And it came down to the fact that somewhere this guy decided to take this car and go and park it in his, in his garden under a tree with all the windows rolled down, and he just left it there for months. By the time they got this car back, the inside of that car was like Armageddon. It was done. It was finished. Animals had taken almost like shelter in there, and the oil was so thick in the engine of that car, you could do nothing with it. They had to try and resurrect this car for me to use it again later. You know what was the issue? Is what my parents and their heart saw as good stewardship was very different to what this person saw as good stewardship. There was a disconnect between my definition of what I think a good steward is and this person's definition. You know what I want? I'm saying now, I hope that you want for me something. We often say in Hatfield, I don't want something from you, I want something for you. I hope what you want for me is that I would follow Jesus so passionately is that it would infect every area of my life. You know what I want for myself? I want to have my view of stewardship as closely aligned with what God sees as good stewardship. And I know it won't happen overnight. There's no microwave in the kingdom. It's all slow cookers, we often say. So I want decade in and decade out of my life. By the time that I'm 85, 95, 105, who knows, that technology. Um, by the time that I'm there, I want to say, man, I've grown so much because of the grace of Jesus in my view of stewardship and generosity. I want to be aligned with what my father says, well done, good and faithful servant. And so I can encourage you, maybe just one practical step. We shared it at the beginning of the series. We'll maybe share it again today on our partners group. If you're one of the partners on that WhatsApp group, we shared some resources. There are a couple of books, some courses, websites that you can go to and say, man, you know what? I want to actually upskill myself to be a good steward because it can't just all be thoughts and prayers, right? God has given us some very practical things, a brain, a heart, a skill set. So he's saying, don't make it so super spiritual that on Sundays it's amens, but on Monday I'm back to my old ways of thinking. Say, God, I want to upskill myself, even with secular resources. All truth is God's truth, friends. There's a book in that list that uses very choice language, and that's unfortunate. But the truth of what this lady is saying is true. It's how to be a good steward. Your motivation might be different from hers because I'm doing it for God, because it's all his. But I want my life to represent his heart. Maybe last lens then. How do I view today through the lens of tomorrow? I do it with joy. <laughs> joy. Who thought we were going to go there at the end? Verse 21. It was everywhere in the passage. Did you see it? Like Jesus out of his way. He's creating this fake story. 
just to illustrate the kingdom and some of its realities to Israel and to all people. And he goes out of his way to work what into it? Joy. He says in verse 21, the master was full of praise. Just one example. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more. What? Responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Do you see what is being celebrated? Again, it's not amounts. It's not rands and cents. The church should be a place where the brain surgeon and the street sweeper sit right next to one another, equally generous with what God has given them. It's not a contest as to who has what, friends. Then you're in the wrong space. Then God needs to grow you in saying, this is not a museum of righteousness. We are here to say, God, grow me in this. And do you see what is being focused on? Not the amounts, but he says, I have joy in our relationship and I will give you many more what? Responsibilities. It's not even about saying those who are good with money will get more money and those who are bad with money will get even less money. No, he's saying those who steward what I give them will have more responsibilities in my kingdom. I will make you even more active and powerful in my kingdom work because I've seen what you do with what I give you. Your heart is always where mine is. Man, so what else what I want to do is to shift your responsibilities to a higher gear for the kingdom of God. There are people in our church who started out thinking my faith has to do with me going to heaven. <laughs> That's like the gospel. And they realized, no, wait, God has, he is, he's making all things new. It's about uniting heaven and earth. And so what I do in this life into the new creation matters. And so they, they enlarge it to their parenting and then to their business. And then realize, wait, maybe we should, we should connect businesses in the city to start working together for greater issues facing our city, like social pain and systemic brokenness. And wait, maybe God is using me on a national platform to speak into people's lives. Maybe God is using me on an international platform to start connecting with people and going out of my way. Do you realize it's still the same following of Jesus and the lid of what he's done has never been reached. The ceiling has never been reached. It's because I'm saying, God, whatever you entrust me with, I know that you have infinite capacity to do what you wanna do. I'm just open to the right. If it's all about money, my mind will always get stuck in money. But if it becomes resources for the kingdom, God says, man, I want to increase what I have given you. You know, the previous place, if I'm honest, when Shay and I, we got married and it was a difficult season, man. A couple of years later, I was trying to finish off postgrad studies while working and we just had our second kid. And we had this discontentment in our hearts. Because we felt we had been kind of done in by life a bit. And so when we had the opportunity to rent a, a bigger space in Bloomstall when I lived there, you know what we went and did is we intentionally went and we rented more house than we could afford. We rented more house than we could afford. And when we moved in, the first time that that debit order went off, it's almost as if this knot in my stomach just permanently for the next couple of months just sat there. Because I felt we deserve this. And so what did we do? We stretched ourselves beyond what was actually wise and reasonable as Christians. Because we were not focused on the joy of relationship with God and being his representatives. We were trying to win at the rat race. We were trying to keep up with the Joneses. We were embarrassed with certain realities in our lives. We were measuring the success of our lives like everyone else measures the success of their lives. And that's perfectly fine. The role of the church is never to go to people that do not yet know Jesus and say, this is how you're meant to live. No, it's to invite people to say, Jesus is life and truth and grace. And if you experience him, everything will change. But I was a Christian. 
And yet I was still living from a reference that says, Joe, the success of your life is the size of the house you stay in. Again, it doesn't matter. If you live in a place of 100 rooms or one room, the question is, what has God given you? Are you living within the means of the joy of what God has given you and saying, God, make me a joyful and responsible steward of what I have? Listen to this, 1 Timothy 6, such a powerful scripture. It says, teach those who are rich in this world, and now three quarters of us just switched off our brains because we're not rich, to not be proud and not to trust in their money, which is unreliable. And just again, we said in that first week, friends, show me the scripture where God says he has an issue with money. It's not money that is the root of all evil. It's the love of money. It's making the center, identity, safety, hope of my life money. It's saying I will serve God and love money versus saying, no, I will love God and serve him and use money. That's the difference. So it's not saying here that those people who, who have money, it says, no, those who trust in money as my savior, as my foundation, as my identity, as what gives me purpose, what shows me who I am. It says their trust, their identity, their center should be in God, who richly gives us all that we need for enjoyment. <laughs> you see that again? There's no tension in the Bible. It's used for kingdom purposes and it's used to enjoy to save, to invest. Tell them to use their money to do what? To do good. They should be rich in good works. Be generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. And by doing this, they will store up treasures for a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Do you see that? If you take it in reverse, it means that those who have experienced the true life of Jesus, they will be rich in good works, they will use their money to do good, and they will have the joy of trusting in God and not money. I will not worship money and use God to get it. I will worship God and use money to worship Him. And just to mention it, we all, like I said, when it's said there, Timothy speaks to uh, you know, or Paul speaks to Timothy and he says, speak to the church. And, and we all like, well, luckily he's not speaking to me because I'm not rich. He said to the rich, of course. Can I encourage you once again, go to globalrichless.com. Go to some of these websites that help you actually see what your finances look like. And one of them that I used literally just yesterday to make sure this data is up to date. If you earn 5,000 rand a month. Now, let's be honest here. Again, in South Africa, we've got a wide, and today we've got a wide background of people here. But I'll ask you this honestly, who of us sitting here says my, my dream, like my bucket list dream financially is to make 5,000 rand a month? I doubt that many people would say yes. I'm not saying would that help you today, I'm saying that's like my dream is to make 5,000 rand a month. If you make 5,000 rand a month, before tax, you are in the 21% richest people in the world. You are in the 21st percentile of richest people in the world you make 5,000 rand a month before tax. If you make 20,000 rand as a household even, before taxes, 20,000 rand a month, then you are in the top 2.7% richest people in the world. Friends, I guess there's much more riches in this church than we think. God is not saying, what do you have? What do you make? Let's speak grands and saints. He says, I have given you generously. Be a generous and faithful steward. I think, and I'll end off with this, I think what I'm challenged with, and I have been often, the Bible almost 2,800 times speaks about finances because it's trying to get to our hearts. 
God is not obsessed with money. <laughs> He's obsessed with the hearts of his people. And what I'm challenged with, and I don't say this out of a place of speaking to us, again, I'm challenged with this, is that I think in the westernized Christian world today, and again, we've been influenced in Africa a lot with this, I think we have this heart to say, yes, I want to serve Jesus passionately, generously, you know, provocatively, graciously. I want to do this. I want to follow him like never before. And I want to live exactly like my friends, neighbors, and colleagues that do not yet know Jesus. And I think that is the first time the Christian church has ever tried to do both those things at the same time. It's not poverty or riches. That's not the choice. The choice is, well, I follow Jesus with everything. He will be the one to decide what my life looks like. But what we are saying in the West denies kind of Christian faith is we're saying, I want to follow Jesus passionately and I want my life to look exactly like every single person around me who doesn't yet know Jesus. Friends, somewhere we need to decide, am I going to worship Jesus or worship Jesus? money. That is the choice. It's not a choice between having money or not having money. It's a choice between worshiping money and worshiping God and becoming a good steward. And so I want to encourage us, friends, tomorrow does matter. It does matter. This has nothing to do with salvation. I want to end just by saying, isn't it beautiful? In this passage, Jesus goes out of his way to make this owner like a hard person. Did you notice that? He's like this hard-driving, almost like difficult owner. And his whole relationship to these servants is what? It's business. It's money. How beautiful then that the one telling this parable, how does he define his relationship with us? How does he speak of the God that he comes to fully reveal to us? He says of him, Father. Father. And he is not the king who comes to ask, what have you done with my money? He's the king who comes to die for those who he spit in his face. Those who mess up their lives, who waste his money. Those who reject him. Those who rebel against him. He says, I come not with sword in hand. I come with nails in hand for you to redeem you, to restore you, to renew you, to raise you to a place of free will worship and grace. And from that place, I call you as a son and a daughter, steward what I've given you and steward it well, steward it for my glory, steward it for the good of the city, for the growth of my church, for the love of the people around you, for the joy of using what God has given you. Earn as much as you can, save as much as you can, give as much as you can. That's what John Wesley always used to say. I think that's a good theology. Four weeks summarized in one sentence, I think that's good. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, I just asked this morning that we would know that in Jesus, for those who sit here this morning, that are in Jesus through faith, there's not a single thing, God, that we can do that will make you love us less. And so, God, I know that from that place, I want to be wise. I don't want to be foolish. I want to be mature, not immature. I want to be faithful and not unfaithful, but I want to know just once again, God, it comes from your love for me and Jesus. I pray that you will teach us, God, that less is more, that giving is good, that stress is bad, and that tomorrow matters. God, I want to live today. I want to live today as if tomorrow matters. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.